Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Welcome back to Absurdity, where we explore all things absurd in religion, culture, and society. And just a quick trigger warning for you. Today we're talking about grief. Um, There's no other way to kind of segue into this. Uh, Tony has his hands up because he took trigger warning literally. Um, And I really hope he just holds it. Oh, he clapped. Oh, he was doing the clap thing. That is a callback. Well done, Tony. I'm going to clap. I misread that. I misread that significantly. Um, Also, I mean, it. It can be both. Uh, fair. Uh, I, I feel like it started out as the thing I said and then ended as the thing you said. I just feel like you pivoted. That's all I feel. Um, <laughs> I did. I did, but I kept my other foot planted. So Okay, fair. Um, it, was, it was not a travel. Well, so, okay. So, yeah, trigger warning for everyone. We are talking about grief and loss today. So uh, if you've recently lost a loved one, if you are dealing with grief uh, and, and um, or any sort of pain, any sort of death, anything like that, um, just know this This episode's about that. And we do hope that this episode is uh, potentially somewhat healing for you, at least freeing. Um, but whatever it ends up being for you, uh, I just hope it's positive. So, But I don't want you to you know, be driving yeah. and then be blindsided by grief. Uh, so I'm going to also make it like really obvious in the title of the episode yeah. that we're talking about grief. Because, yeah, the heavier the topic, the more that I really want people to just know going into it, this is what you're going to get into. Uh, I mean, we're not going to, yeah, it doesn't mean that we're going to pull any punches. It just means you might want to sit yourself down for this one. Don't operate heavy machinery. Yep. Also, a uh, quick announcement. This week, at some is, point, I don't cool. know exactly when, uh, but I finished it just this weekend. Um there's going to be a video going live on my Facebook, on YouTube, and on probably my Twitter, because that's typically the three places that I, I tend to repost videos if they're under two and a half minutes. Um, so go check out that video. It is a big announcement uh, and a clarification of an earlier announcement as well, an explanation of it. So go check that out. Uh, if it's, I imagine it will be up by Wednesday or Thursday. I don't know. Um, I, this is why I pay someone else to do it because they I trust their judgment on the timing of things way more 
than me. So yeah, uh, go check that out. Really excited for what's coming. And as always, if you want to support us financially, head on over to patreon.com slash absurdity podcast. Every dollar helps. Um, and every dollar. So much. Yeah. Like I don't know how to express to you how much every dollar helps. Um, so much. Other than to tell you that I spend about $500 a month on podcasting. And, uh, and I know that's an optional thing. Don't, I'm not like, woe is me. Uh, but I make about, um, I make around half of that from, from all sources combined. So if you, uh, if you want to help me cover costs, uh, that would be wonderful. That's, that's all. So, uh, patreon.com slash absurdity podcast or the absurdity.com or.org slash donate. So, um, so this weekend I'm in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, I'm literally, we're recording this right before I have to kind of drive out. I'm meeting some family for brunch after this recording. And then we're, um, and then I'm headed the seven hour drive, six and a half hour drive home to Chattanooga. But I'm up here because a few weeks ago, my grandfather, uh, passed away. He passed away from, uh, he had dementia and he had congestive heart failure and he had passed away in his sleep. Um, his dementia progressed pretty rapidly. Uh, within the last few months, he literally moved in with my uncle and my yeah. aunt here in Dayton from Colorado back in April. Um, and by July, he was his memory was was really uh, was really bad. Um, he could remember them, but that's because they were in his immediate vicinity. Um, and then he passed away uh, just October 14, about midway through, uh, right before I went to Society of Adventist Communicators, literally two days before I flew out for that. So that was fun uh, to find out, but. Uh, so yesterday we had the funeral. I, I spoke for it and uh, two amazing things happened at this funeral. And yes, I'm going to start this off on a light note because why not? Um, <laughs> number one. I mean, it's I, us. It's it, it, yeah. would, it would it stay in character, right? Yeah. So number one is that um, if you are familiar at all with Seventh-day Adventism, one thing that you might know is our Daniel and Revelation seminar series. Uh, these are usually a series of like anywhere from 15 to 30 sermons uh, given over a short period of time where we break down prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. And we do them as evangelistic series. So these are preaching. Uh, these are, you know, night events where we preach. I've done one. Uh, most theology majors or pastors I know have done them. I'm not a big fan of them, to be honest. Uh, but one thing yeah. that has always been, as long as Adventism has been a thing, that has always been true is that the marketing for these things, Literally, the graphics like, for these things. Before, yeah. Before, before Adventism was Adventism. Yes. Yeah. We have like 1800s, like wood carving cutouts. And, and they're like virtually, the, so this is a long tradition. Yeah. We, uh, we have these really poorly made colorful graphics of like lions and bears and uh, the beasts of revelation. Basically, uh, we'll do the, the horse, the horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah. All, and, and so you'll see these weird paintings and pictures on, um, on like brochures and flyers and mailings and, and everything else as we break down Daniel and Revelation. The big one is the, the statue. and where to find them. Yes. And uh, fantastic beasts and where to find them. Absolutely. So I walk into the church yesterday and there's a graphic up on the screen of my grandfather and, you know, his name and, and how, you know, his lifespan Um and behind him, they had photoshopped him on to this like sc- the sky background with other images 
feathered it, feathered in basically. So there was a cross, there was a person kneeling, there was some, a hand opening a Bible in the corner. Um, so they turned like literally this looked identical to a revelation seminar advertisement without the, without like the violent parts, right? Without the beasts or the statue. And the feathering in, yeah, the, the feathering is like those pictures from the eighties and nineties where it's like, it's not like clear. Like, uh, it, I mean, it's not like opaque. It's like, it's very like translucent. Like it's kind of halfway there. Yes. You guys remember that where they would take like a picture of your face and then have like kind of you from other angles, kind of ghostly on the side like that. Those, these other images are kind of like that. And the best part about that, the best part about that was they, from one of the photos, which I think was the Holy Bible photo, the, the hand opening the Bible, you could still see the, the trademark, like, watermark yeah, text the watermark, in the bottom clearly. corner, and you could see it being feathered out with the image of the Bible. It was the most glorious thing when I walked into that room and saw. Um, and Tony, when I, when I told you about this, you had an amazing line uh, that I want to allow you the, oper- the space to share here because oh, it was you, incredible. You, you say it because you it it's funny if you say it um, from your perspective. He, he literally, like, this is what this looks like. And Tony brought this to my attention with this line. Uh, it looked like my grandfather was going to the big evangelistic series in the sky. That's what it looked like. And honestly, like, my grandpa was very dedicated to, the, to his church community, to his church family. Um, and taught me a lot about what that actually means as well and the importance of it. Um, he really kind of, there was a lot of, there were a few moments that I had with him where he really kind of showed me the value of, or the importance of caring about others and caring about how your actions will impact them as a community. Um, and I, you know, I'm very appreciative of the, the time I had with him. And so it, it is fitting that that's the case. Uh, but the second thing was I, pre- I officiated for the, for the funeral service. So I preached, which preaching for your own family's funeral is a strange thing. Um, yeah. And this yeah. one old woman came up to me right at, literally immediately after the service, and she graded my sermon. That was her reaction. To, like, that was her, that was her first response. It was not, hey, sorry for your loss. None like that. Just like, yeah, you know, it was. Uh, I have some thoughts. Yeah, literally. She's like, you know, I. It was a great sermon. I, you know, I don't have uh, many negative notes or anything that I can, you know, think of. Um, you know, you did fine. Oh, there was this one thing. And then she proceeded to go about how I didn't mention this really important thing to her and this promise that she stands on for her faith, which I'm not even sure is really biblical. I would need to like really look into it. Um, the, the idea that she shared was like that, well, you didn't, you didn't really emphasize or even bring up that, that, that Satan can't harm us or do anything to us unless God allows it. And I was, I was a little caught off guard by that. And also that wasn't the point. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, because yeah. I had preached on Job yeah. where it's, which is a moment where God allows Satan to do terrible things. Right. Uh, but that doesn't mean in that theory, that's prescriptive I mean, in theory. Yeah. Yeah. Like in theory, it's like, Oh yeah. But that to me, that just, it's very, that's very deterministic. I mean, not to get too deep into the theology, but I'm like, yeah, God isn't micromanaging everything. We live in a world of sin. Sometimes things happen. God doesn't just protect us from all the bad things. And then every once in a while be like, "Eh, I'll let this cancer go through. Like, no, it's not how that works. But yeah, it was just a strange I'm glad that helps her sleep at night. Yeah, no, yeah, dude, people, I was, I, it was people hilarious, are the best dude. and people are the worst, man. I'm telling you. Well, and that's why I think and it's I actually. I love the fact that it wasn't, it wasn't that it was you preached at a funeral, which already would be tacky. 
to be like, hi, here are my thoughts on yes. you explaining death and the great mystery that is there. But hi, this was your own grandfather. I have some thoughts. Yeah, right. You exactly. could have expressed yourself. Oh, better no, no, no. That's exactly. She used that. Like she actually referenced that fact. She's like, and hey, you know, I know it's your own family, and so you know, I can't imagine preaching for your family must be a lot harder. And you know, sometimes you can forget really important points. So she even and knew it. What the heck, she, lady? She oh was trying. God. Yeah, she was. She was. She was. She, was, she treated me like it was my first time I had ever preached, which was hilarious yeah. to me. Um. I it was really funny. Like it's, I was honestly like laughing. That, that I'm, yeah, it's moments like that that I'm genuinely glad I have my missionary license with me because I can just be like, "Hi, you, you know that I'm like credentialed to do this, right?" Like, yeah, right. I might not be good at it, but I'm a professional. Please get get yeah. back in the box, lady. Like, no, no, you're late. Stand your late. <laughs> For real. So Tony and I were talking about uh, what we man. wanted to talk about this week, and and grief was kind of the obvious choice I think with me having just been to a funeral and spending time with family up here um and then uh with both of us like it's something that I've talked about a little bit because I did an episode with Stephanie and James Johnson back in Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, somewhere mm -hmm, in like mm -hmm. the 70s I think early 70s um yeah and not not the years the episode numbers and uh the (laughs) AD 74, um, I think, right around the, yeah. right around when the Sicarii rebels were being yeah, that's know, right. sequestered out of Masada. So this is a, um, so this is our kind of opportunity to go back into grief more in depth. Does not mean that we're going to, uh, this is the only time we'll ever talk about it or anything like that. Um, but it is something that, um, that I think is worth talking about. A new and angle. So, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and kind of our own take on it as well. Um, and I think we're also going to try and include some links to some resources, some helpful podcasts, or anything else that we can think of that might be helpful to those of you who want to know a little bit more about grief. Um, sure. So make sure to check the show notes. I, I I want to start off with a caveat that the research that I did, unfortunately, I have access to a really great because um, I'm in school right now. I have access to a really great uh, system that that allows me to get. So a lot of the research I did. I'm not going to be able to link up to the show notes because it's not going to be available to most people. Um, but what I am going to do is uh, everything that I, I bring up from my end, I don't know about you, Becker, but from my end, what I'm going to do is essentially um, I'm going to uh, like say things that you can Google and look up. Um, so feel free to like call us on it and, and like disagree. But yeah, all the research I did, I can't really replicate per se. Um, and so I'm just going to do my best to, to try to, um, like give you guys an option to be able to, to Google it, um, and do your own research. Like if you, like, I would love for me personally, if there was a, uh, you know, psychologist or a grief counselor, somebody who can, you know, just contact us and say, Hey, you know, here's where you were right. Here's where you were wrong. Uh, we've had that happen a couple of times in various places. Um, I remember one time we were talking about you know, like what ministries are independent and what ministries are dependent on the church. And, um, you know, what's, you know, somebody at the NAD called us up and was like, hi, you had it completely backwards. And so like, I, I have no problem. Um, no, realistically, I have no problem continuing to, uh, uh, you know, be learn and, and adjust and, so anyway, that that's a big thing for me is just know that yeah, I'm not going to be able to like give you the sources. I, I I put 
I think a couple on there that were open access, but um, feel free to like, again, minimal amount of research, Google search. Um, you should be able to find the the concepts that we're talking about. So I'm looking forward to that. So I think the the best way to move forward is to do what we always do on absurdity, and that's operate with some sort of, or like establish some sort of operating definition. Yeah, ground um, base. Yep. So yeah, Tony, how would you define grief um, within the context? Of, we're talking about grief, about loss specifically today, just so we're all clear. Um, yeah. Like dealing with the death of a loved one or, yeah just kind of responding to death. So, um, yeah, what, um, what, how would you define grief? So grief as I would describe it is the process and reaction to some form of loss. Um, and the process of healing that follows, um, that's kind of the best way I can say it. Like it's not, it's not the dictionary definition, Definition. Uh, definition. Definition. Wow. Definition. I like that. It's the definary definition. Yeah. Um, it's not the dictionary definition, but it's that to me is the best understanding of it in a very broad and basic sense. Like something has been lost, and this is your reaction to it and path to healing um, and understanding. Is yeah. that's that's how I understand grief. Um, yeah, grief. I mean, the definary definition is deep sorrow, especially that by co- uh, that. Caused by someone's death, a uh, death, death. We're both, we're both screwed. Um, and then <laughs> the um, way that just lean into it at this point, man. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I, I, I think we're more interested in the process of grief and the, the, and I would right. agree with that operating right. definition here. I think uh, we're talking about the process of grieving the loss of someone and what that actually looks like. So grieving entails both the initial reaction to, as well as the healing process or whatever process ensues uh, beyond that. I don't really right. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's my thing. I think closure is kind of a myth. Um, I think closure is not. I think acceptance is what we mean when we say closure, but there is no closure to say like, oh, this chapter is done. This is why I think when like a family loses, like when parents lose like a a young child to let's say cancer, those those parents usually become major advocates for raising awareness for whatever that type of cancer was or working in that that field. Right. Um, it's not yeah. like it's not because they're able to close the chapter. It's because they were able to. I I think what we would what we would say is closure, or what what we typically think of as closure is really the redefining of our life. After, it's it's establishing a new normal, and yeah. um and accepting that as normal. But it's never really closure. I don't think because I I I, I don't see you never being upset or sad again at someone's death. You know what? Like that's yeah, my thing. No, Close- I, I totally agree. So it's it's effects, establishing effects. meaning from it. Yeah, I, closure even in relationships. Like I, I can understand more closure in a relationship or a friendship, but even then, I just I just feel like the residual effects stay with you forever. Like there is no such thing as a closure. Closure only happens for the one who is no longer there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if if you are no longer here, if you die, you get closure in in. You know, that's it. Everybody else deals with the effects of it, like mm. either negative or positive. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think that's true. And I think part of the thing that I think is important is the fact that we talk about that part of it is a process. Um, just 
to me, even adding that to the definition and having that, I think is huge in creating a healthy grooving process. Yeah. Having the word process um, and understanding that because I think a lot of people think it is just an emotion. Like, well, we'll talk about that. I don't want to get too far ahead. <laughs> like in my head, I'm like, oh, like, no, we, we, we'll yeah. get to that. Well, we'll get let's, to I mean, let's just jump into patience, what patience. the, okay. Yeah. So, so first things first, um, if you're grieving, let me be the first one to give you permission to grieve however the heck you need to grieve. The only asterisk right, or yeah. caveat that I add there is unless you're going to harm yourself or someone else because of the grief. That is the only that is the only time yeah. where I go. That's the only thing that's worth intervening on as far as grief is concerned. Um, but grieve whatever uh, whatever way you need to grieve. Um, yeah, if it means you're sure. crying and eating ice cream for a month, go for it. If it means that you are not crying, if, if it means that you just want life to go back to normal. That was my experience. The normal. Um, then, then by all means go for it. Like, don't yeah. let anyone tell you that you're not grieving correctly because grief looks different yeah. for every single person. And that's why the process it's, of it's grief, I think is, yeah. is principle based and kind of topic based or, or zone based with emotions, yeah. but it's not a, uh, it's not like a prescription of be- specific behaviors. It, it, it isn't. And it's so hard to say to someone like, oh, well, this isn't healthy because they're grieving over it for 20 years. I'm like, well, it, yes, but no. Mm. You know, it kind of depends. And so there's a few different theories about how that works. And one of the reasons why um, you kind of do have like a, 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 a bit of a standard of like what it means to grieve is that we, you know, there are some patterns that generally, generally um, kind of show up when it comes to the grieving process. And one of these are kind of the five stages. Um, So this is kind of the famous five-stage theory that not everyone goes through, but it kind of seems like a a great majority of people go through. And so those five stages famously are denial, starts with denial, Uh, then you get anger, Uh, then you go through bargaining, you get depression and then finally acceptance. And there's a bit of kind of the, the, the bookends are denial and acceptance. Everything else kind of can waver back and forth. Um, but you kind of start with denial and then finally get to acceptance of, you know, the situation. And that can be for people who are going through, right. The, the grief of, I, you know, as the victim of the incident, you know, be it, cancer or an accident or, you know, whatever. Um, or the person who is like a relative or the close person who's dealing with the situation, someone from the outside dealing with the grief of it or someone in the, in the situation. And, um, so what do you, so before we can go with that, keep going, what are your thoughts on the five stage theory? So my, my thoughts on the five stages are thus, um, the actual, the best way that I was introduced to the five stages was, um, was through, um, (laughs) was through the show robot chicken on adult swim. Uh, and I'm going to include a YouTube link to this specific clip because it's hilarious. Also not safe for work slightly as far as language is concerned, but I'm pretty sure it's also censored, but the clip is a giraffe that gets stuck in quicksand. And um, the the giraffe yeah. is, is I'm not going to yeah. spoil it necessarily, but it does go through the five stages as the 
um, as the giraffe sinks further and further into the quicksand. Continues to sink, yeah. It is the funniest thing. Um, and if you don't find it funny, I get it. It's fine. I think it's funny. Um, I, I'm with you, man. It's hilarious. The In uh, my opinion, in my personal yeah. opinion. Yeah, and uh, Robot Chicken is a, is a weird animated show from Adult Swim on Cartoon Network where... Um, they basically used to take like action like figures and dolls, whatever. Yeah. yeah. But they would yeah. animate an actual mouth over. Um, and, yeah. and it's great. Rotoscope um, of mouth. Yeah. It's incredibly inappropriate at times, but there's a it's lot of it as well. That is hilarious. Inc- the star Wars scenes are the funniest. The star Wars, yes. I was literally going to bring it up. So they do like the star Wars janitor. Um, so like through the episode, they'll do like clips to like interspersed clips of like, the janitor dealing with all the death and destruction that happens on these, these star Wars yes. things and just like a body will fall. He just like sweeps it up. Just like, Oh, I need to get transferred to that new death star. Like, yeah, exactly. I like the, the hope scene, my application comes through uh, when Darth Vader calls Palpatine to tell him that the death star blew up. And, um, yeah. And, uh, so there's uh, been a problem. I was like, what do you mean? They blew up the death star. Uh, like the whole, he goes off on Darth Vader and he's, uh, he's like, wait, two weeks? You've been floating around in space for two weeks? Ah, oh, you must smell like feet wrapped in leathery burnt bacon. Um, like, it is the, the the funniest, funniest thing. I love Robot Chicken, even even with its um, sometimes very wildly inappropriate scenes. Uh, the Star Wars things are funny, and this specific scene from with the giraffe and quicksand is, is hilarious. Um, so I'll include a link so to anyway, that in Greece. the show notes. <laughs> yeah, so the five stages, I do so think yeah, are accurate. Um, when yeah. my, when my, I actually started experiencing it prior to my grandfather's death because I knew that he was on the decline The at the time that he was, mm-hmm. I knew it was going to be quick. Um, so when yeah. my uncle called me to let me know, I was, I knew the second his name popped up, like in my phone that he was calling, I, I knew exactly what the news was going to be. Um, but I experienced it with my dad with denial because, um, even for several years afterward, um, I don't think denial, I, th- I think denial is probably the most misunderstood of them because denial, yeah. uh, people think that just means you won't accept that they're dead or you won't like, you won't believe that they are dead. And I don't think like explicitly, like you, like someone has to convince you that they're dead. And and I think we, we think that because of the scenes in movies where that's where someone has to say like, he's dead, he's not coming back. Um, I think denial is much more subtle. And here's what I mean. There were times where I'd be standing in the driveway of my home of, you know, my, my childhood home. And I would look, and, and there were times after school as a kid where I'd be out playing basketball in that driveway. And around five thirty, six o'clock, my dad would come around the corner of my street, turn in and, you know, pull into the driveway. And, uh, that, that is the time, uh, that like when I'd stand in my driveway after he died, any day even now i could probably go home and still look at the corner and expect this in my head i can just picture and expect his car to just turn around the corner at any moment and he pulls in and you know turns out he was alive the whole time it's this weird i i think denial is is it's subtle it is not a active i don't believe he is gone but rather or you know this person is gone but rather it's a it's a the rhythms are still there yeah yeah, exactly. The rhythms are still there of when they were alive. And that yeah. doesn't always just go away. Um, and the other thing I think of these stages is like they are different for everyone. The way they experience them is different. Um, and yep. you can jump around. You can go back to a stage. Like, I, I don't think this is a... I, and you can experience multiple at once. You can... There's there's a yeah. whole there's a whole lot there that I think is... Um, is malleable in the process. So I don't think this is a yeah. clear you are at step two, step three. 
So they did a really famous study in 2007, um, and that's the one that I linked up. I, th- I believe it's open source. I believe it's open source. Um, and we're going to check that, of course, when we get to the show notes. If nothing else, you can, you can Google the guys who did this study, um, or the scientists, I should say. Gender neutral. Um, yeah, free personal account to download free article PDFs, sign up for alerts, and more. This one might be one yeah, of the free so I think, ones. I think, I, I'm pretty sure it's one of the free ones. Um, but anyway, so in this study, basically what they did was they discovered that um, acceptance was there through all the different stages, and it's, it, it like grows by degrees. Mm. So in other words, you have low acceptance with denial. And through the various other, like, you grow towards acceptance. So acceptance isn't a stage as much as it is kind of an end goal that you kind of grow in percentage towards. And what's fascinating about that is another study was done kind of on that particular study. And what they found was, um, like, uh, basically they kind of were like, oh, there's no evidence for the the five-stage uh, process. And I think that they're incorrect in what their studies found. But what they did find was that time is not the factor in, mm-hmm. um, in accepting uh, uh, grief or uh, accepting loss. Basically what they found was, and I'm going to read the quote here because this is it was fascinating stuff. Um, it, the idea of a sense making versus time. In other words, making sense of the situation. So they studied two different groups. Um, of people who had kind of natural loss and then like violent loss. And mm. basically what they found was that um, overall sense-making emerged as a much stronger predictor of grief indicators than time since loss, highlighting the relevance of meaning-oriented perspective. Um, basically what they found was like there was an anniversary reaction which was marked by heightened distress and a reduced acceptance for participants approaching the second anniversary of death. So basically what they said was like the idea that you go through stage one to five and then when you hit five, it's done. That is not true. And I'm like, that's accurate. Um, they said you can go straight back to denial. It's, it's about making sense of it. When you can make sense of the situation, you will then be able to accept it. Yes. And so for people with who, who experience especially violent loss, Oftentimes it's nonsensical, you know, uh, they were young, they, you know, uh, uh, eight year old child dies because of gang warfare. You know, that was a big deal. I remember growing up was like, Oh, this senseless gang violence, um, before the, you know, Arabs, you know, the Arabic people, middle Easterns were the big, you know, Ooh, scary. Yeah. They're going to get you. Gangs were the big, Ooh, they're going to get you. And, um, and I'm not, poo-pooing either one i'm just saying like that was the big scary thing that made everyone afraid and i remember senseless gang violence it's literally the idea that someone young and it's they die for no reason that's hard to accept and so no amount of time is going to take that away the closer it gets the anniversary you will just continue to until you make sense of it you will not accept it and it will just keep coming back and i think that it's very accurate So I think for me, the five stage process is accurate only in the sense of you're going to at some point hit denial. You're going to at some point hit anger and all these different things. And you'll, you're going to grow in acceptance. Like as you hit these things, you will grow to accept it more. It doesn't mean that you won't do it. It doesn't mean that it's permanent, but you're going to be angry. You're going to be depressed. You're going to not, you know, have that denial. Um, You're going to have these issues. And so that I think is the biggest 
um, I would say like the biggest factor. Yeah, I agree with that. I do think the study also pointed out um, it, it looked like the average time was about six months. I think one of the, the conclusions was that yeah. after yeah. about six months, if someone is still like really, really having a hard time that it would be, um, they, I think it said they would be kind of considered for like, to look for, at it again. Yeah. Yeah. To, for more of it, for further evaluation and what they, I, I think what basically, yeah. Professional help. Yeah. Yeah. And that, it's like, if you're not able to do it after six months, Hey, you might want to think of, and it wasn't even like a hundred percent. You have to seek professional help. It was more like, you may want to like, check it out. Yeah. Now I think there was a, um, I think this this didn't reference something that I I would have I'd be curious about because it's something that I actually experienced last year um, uh, around the anniversary of my dad's death, which is early October. Um, and every year I have a hard time around that time of year. It just sucks. Um, it's just a sucky time of year. But the um, the thing that I experienced last year was oh, it was it was year eight, and it was the hardest year basically since the year that he passed away. And the reason was, um, that was the year that I realized I could not remember what he sounds like. Couldn't remember his voice anymore. And I don't have any recordings of him. I don't have any, I have nothing as far as the actual sound of his voice is concerned. There's nothing that exists. And last year I had a really, really hard time with that. Um, I actually remember even this year in February having a dream, a a nightmare, um, where I think I was on like some cruise ship thing with my with my mom at one point, and I walk into the banquet hall, and my dad's just chilling, talking with some people. Um, and there's no, I remember very clearly being upset about that and thinking that he lied, thinking that like, why would you do this? And I actually remember at one point um, in that argument, like I was, I was actually upset that he was alive. And the reason I was upset that he was alive was was something that I learned about myself in that moment. You know, when I woke up from this nightmare was. Um, there was still a part of me um, that thought for whatever reason, and this isn't a, like, he can't accept that he's dead or anything. Like, this isn't that. It was just a, it's just the way that I guess my brain works. Uh, but there was still part of me that yeah. somehow thought emotionally that uh, that somehow if I had been a better son or whatever, he'd still be around. And that was why I was angry because I remember in that nightmare specifically going up to him, shaking him and saying, was I just not good enough for you to, to stay that you had to fake your own death to, to, um, you know, to get away. And it was in that moment that I realized that there was some of my kind of self-worth tied to this. But the, the thing that I experienced in year eight was basically it wasn't grief over his death. And he, it was a new grief. I literally, I was grieving a new aspect of this, of this same loss. And, um, that was something that that caught me off guard. I didn't even expect that kind of thing. But I think there is a lot of kind of, there's a lot of different things to grieve when someone, when you lose someone. And I think each one of those individual aspects is something that you'd have to go through that process a little bit again, uh, every single time that, that you're, you're grieving something new. And I don't think that's, I, I would say it's annoying, but I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a bad thing. I think every aspect of that can teach you something new or different. Um, it has definitely um, taught me a lot more about myself. Um, and so I think there is a, I do wish it had spoken to that. Like, what does it look like to grieve new aspects of loss um, or of the same loss? And 
uh, that is something that I, I would like to see more of. But otherwise, I, I, like, I, I definitely agree with this, and I see the patterns in my own life. But I think there is a significant lack of... Uh, awareness is a good word, but I, 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 I wonder if there's a, a better one for this. But just within, within churches, right? Within the church, I think that there is... I, okay, here's my problem. Here's my problem with the way the church handles grief and loss. The church... And I, this was taught in school to me. This was my church members did this. Churches see funerals as evangelistic opportunities. Yep. Almost primarily. Because, oh, we're about to have a whole bunch of guests and people in this, in this church who weren't, um, who've never been here or who I've uh, never experienced it. And we're going to, um, we're going to go all out and we're going to uh, really make sure that they feel um, they feel welcomed and they feel loved. And the, the entire attitude and the entire kind of um, the entire approach to the funeral service and to the memorial is one of uh, is one of selfish motive. And I'm not putting that necessarily on every pastor because I know several pastors. And if you fall into this category, then congratulations. I'm not talking about you. Don't get defensive. Um, there are several who do mourn and grieve right alongside the family. They'll go and cry with them through the night, you know, when they find out the news. Um, not talking about yeah. those, but I mean, just churches as a whole tend to see grief and have a very... And, and church members tend to have a very specific um, expectation of what that looks like. When I didn't cry at my dad's funeral, in fact, when I told funny stories of times when he was alive and interactions we had, um, I had people that thought that I was being selfish and trying to make it all about me. I had people yeah. who told me that I wasn't being respectful enough or that I wasn't uh, grieving correctly because I wasn't a, a, just this giant ball of tears at his funeral. And I'm not saying there's nothing, there's, there's nothing wrong with crying. There is nothing wrong with crying. I just didn't want to cry. I, it's just not me. That's not the way that I, that I do things. And, and yeah, but and some, yeah, some we, people just don't grieve publicly. Like you don't know how much crying they're doing in the dark spaces away from everyone. Like, mm -hmm. yo, that week that my dad died, my body cried regardless of my mood. Like I could just be sitting here talking. There'd be tears coming down my face. There's nothing I could do about it. Um, and I would have to, like in school, I'd have to just go to the bathroom. I'd be like, hey, can I go to the bathroom real quick? And then I'd go and, you know, walk out of class and go wipe my face basically and wait it out. And it was so annoying. Yeah. Um, because my I couldn't stop lactating. it. Like, it's Excuse just, me. It was a completely automatic response. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, everyone grieves differently. And I think there's a lack of awareness of, of the flexibility of grief and the, the yeah. kind of uh, uniqueness of everyone's grieving situation. If you don't grieve, and handle this the way that I would handle it or the way that I think is the best way to handle it, then you're doing it wrong. And the worst thing that someone can be told, I think in a, in a, in a grieving scenario is that, um, that th the way they feel is wrong. Um, and once again, I think there are limits to that statement. Um, but in general, this idea of, yeah, the way that you are, uh, responding to this, which is actually causing no destruction or damage to anyone else around you or even to yourself, really, um, that's not okay. And I, you know, refuse to accept this. Like, I, I just, I think what it does is it, it minimizes the, the, it minimizes the loss. It tries to dismiss the loss as less than what it actually is. And the grieving person will always respond that way. Like, you don't know how, you don't know what this is. Yeah. 
Absolutely. You don't know what this means to me. You don't, you don't know me. And for you to tell me that, oh, you shouldn't be crying at this point or you shouldn't be upset about it at this point or, you know, just get over it at this yeah. point. Um, like that, that's the kind of thing where I go, um, where I would think like, yeah, you don't know me. You don't, you don't get to tell me how to grieve. And honestly, because you think that you get to tell me how to, how to live my life, I don't want you in it. Like that's my first response kind of, I, I, I temper it, but that's like my first gut reaction Right, yeah, um, that's like to someone trying to do that. That's your human side is being like, well, um, you don't get to. So, yeah, well, yeah. why? So, so, why do you think? Why do you think this is the case? Why do you think that church members specifically, and granted, our bath, our faith background is Seventh Day Adventist, but this I think does apply pretty across the board. Um, why do you think this? We really aren't allowed sometimes um, to grieve. Like, why aren't we able to be as open with it as we'd like? So, I think it's it's. On both sides, I think it depends on your culture. I think in some cultures, for you to be all weepy and um, crying and just distraught, I think is a sign of a lack of faith. And they'll call you out and say, oh, well, you know, clearly your your faith isn't strong enough because, you know, we, we weep as those who don't mourn and all this, you know, kind of stuff. And I think a lot of times people get that. Um, they get this... Um, that kind of sense that you're not allowed to cry. And I think on the other side, I think people, um, so they, so I say the first thing is they misinterpret the Bible and they say, you know, anyone who displays emotion is being ridiculous. Um, and so that's the first one. And I think that that's, it's terrible. It's dumb. It's a horrible, um, misinterpretation. It's, it's bad. The bigger reason why, and I think that the second reason why, which is if you do, if you don't show any emotion is that we, we internalize or we expect internal experiences and then project those onto others. Mm -hmm. This isn't how I would react. This isn't how I would do it. Therefore you're doing it wrong because this isn't what I like or how I would do it or how I expect to do it or how I was raised to do it. And it's just a lack of cultural awareness, I think, in the church. Um, a lot of times, even though, it's, you know, the Adventist church, we, we claim, and I think have a strong claim to be a world church, every church to some degree is a local church. No church is truly global. Um, and so you're always going to have people who, this is how we do it here. Mm-hmm. So if the typical thing isn't to do it in this manner, then someone who is an outsider who comes in and expresses something in that manner is going to be viewed at as maybe not necessarily anathema, you know, but as um, an outsider and will be shunned to some degree. And yeah. I think that that's, that's part of the reason why we're not allowed to grieve is because, well, that's not how we do it here. Yeah. Well, I, I would I would add to that. There's there's another there's kind of another angle on that projection, and this isn't the way that I would do it. Which is that this isn't the way that I would do it. So the way that you're doing it makes me uncomfortable. Right. Um, yeah. And it's and it's about and the self comfort of of yeah. Mm -hmm. Your grief shouldn't be so intense and so much that it makes me uncomfortable. Or um, or I so not feel awkward. Either or way, I don't yeah. know what to do. Yeah. Um, and that's a selfish way of looking at it too, to say like, yeah, someone's grief is only allowed in as in so far as it doesn't 
inconvenience you? What? Like, this is like, I, I, it just seems odd to me that if you're a part of a church family, you're in a, you're in a local church community where you are in, because this is the way that this is what baptism kind of is. This is why it's a public declaration is you've entered a covenantal relationship with this community that you're with, right? This idea that you are going to be a church family and part of the body of Christ, part of the part of part of a family of God. So for you to say like someone else's loss is my now inconvenience, like that what and 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 somehow the inconvenience to you that someone else's grief causes is more significant than the inconvenience of your actual loss that caused the grief. That's what that is. Um, that's essentially what that's saying. Hey, can you stop because it's making me uncomfortable is saying uh, your inconvenience is less than the inconvenience that is causing your grief and um, or less than the, 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 yeah, my inconvenience is less than the, the inconvenience that caused your grief. And that's, that is despicable to me. Like yeah. it's gross to me and yeah. it makes me, it makes my blood boil. Like, let me just be honest. Um, and there are other reasons I think too, but those are the big ones that I could like easily identify. It shouldn't, it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. I mean, it does. Um, yeah. Um, and you I mean, can look, grieve, Jesus, you can even, grieve even, so many things. I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about death because that's the big one. But honestly, you can grieve the loss of a relationship. You can grieve, uh, uh, the loss of a future. Um, you yeah. can grieve the loss of a job. You can grieve. I mean, there's so many things that you can grieve this idea that there's only one thing that it's only death or funerals that, you know, like it, it, it's, I think there are people who grieve and I'm not saying that it's healthy, but I think there are people who grieve when they see an ex get married, you know, and they grieve the future that might've been. And I think it's, it's legitimate, you know, they're experiencing yeah. it. I'm not, I'm, you know, there are people who want to poo poo it or knock it or, or whatever. And it's like, no, Hey, you know what? That could be for them what it is. I don't think that necessarily it's the best thing. Um, but Hey, if it helps you get over them, you know, yeah. like, all right, grieve it, go for it. Um, cause again, you have that degrees of acceptance. And, and I think a big, a big issue is just the lack of a, like, this is just a big, big issue. I see a lot of times in a lot of our churches is this lack of awareness, just this lack of any type of research done into it. And, and I don't yeah. want to, how do I say this? Really? I have to be really careful. How I say this. People who are Ellen White and scripture experts are awesome. And that's great. And it's, I love it. But if you don't have any knowledge into the current world and current science, um, I don't want to say you're useless, but the Bible has you to have be understood less authority in a context. Here. Yeah. Like the Bible has to be understood in a context. Um, yeah. Ellen White needs to be understood in a context or even let's say, you know, ancient, not ancient, but you know, writers who, who wrote back in the day, C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, you know, uh, Reinhold Niebuhr, um, Bonhoeffer, like they need to be understood in their context. And so for mm -hmm. you to take those writers and the Bible and to just say, well, this is how it is without understanding the cultural background behind it and the, the, 
just everything there. Like to me, I think it's legitimately ridiculous. And and you need to not stay in your lane, but you need to be aware that you can do more damage than help mm-hmm. by not understanding the the context and by it, you know. Because, because they, again, like I find, and I find it happens a lot more than I'm okay with, you know, that we have people who are, you know, they know the great controversy back and forth, which is great, but they have no clue about what's going on in the world. And, you know, even basic psychological processes, you know, mm-hmm. it's like the Bible doesn't really give you steps on how to grieve. Mm-hmm. doesn't now you can infer from the stories of certain people like you can you can do your own research and come up with it but just reading the bible isn't going to give you a healthy way to grieve because there are a lot of people who didn't grieve in a healthy way i would say david did like you can use the example of david grieving for the child with bathsheba as a good way and you can literally go through the five stages right with david um but it doesn't really tell you how you have to, you have to glean that. And again, mm. you have to understand the context of it. And so to me, I think that that's just, I wish people would do, I wish people would do more research before they opened up their mouths and un, an uninformed opinion, which is ironic being that, you know, we're not experts <laughs> and we have a podcast, but like even you and I, we do research before we open our mouths on something. Yeah. Um, you know, we we're putting ourselves out there on the public forum. And so we have to ha- cover our butts a little bit. And so we do research. We make sure that what we're saying at least makes sense. Um, or we try to, I think there's a lot of people who absolutely know nothing about it, but they've already formed opinions incorrectly interpreting the Bible. And, and that lack of awareness causes more harm than anything else. And I just wish that that. Mm. So, all right. I'll give you the, the. A lot of times they're like, oh, well, we just want you to do this healthily. Well, what is, what is healthy grieving, Ryan? Does that uh, exist? Yes. Um, but it doesn't always look healthy, I think. Um, like, it doesn't look. Because there is no look to grieving. That's the thing. Like, right? Yeah. Want to ask okay. what healthy yeah. grieving looks like? It looks like whatever's healthy for that person. Yeah. Um, okay. The, I, I, I can roll like, with that. I could like. Here's my thing. If I a wheat might be great for for most people. Wheat is an amazing thing for a lot of people. Um, they go to they go to Subway or they go to whatever sub place and they get a wheat bread sandwich and and you know because it's less whatever than white bread. That's great for everyone else. For me, I have asthma. Guess what is a uh, what is guess what's a trigger for my asthma? Eating wheat. If I get a if I get wheat bread, thank you. Um, If I get wheat bread specifically, um, like like it, it, I actually have trouble breathing throughout the day from then on. Like that's a thing. So I, I I don't think heavy healthy grieving looks the same for everyone. What matters, I think, is that someone is not just straight up running away from the problem, or or stuck um, in one area, yeah. for too long. I think yeah. it's a. I think it's a. If if they're they're clearly trying to medicate with something to avoid actually dealing with it, whether that's work or whatever, then um, that that is where I think we would 
where I'd, I'd, I'd be a little concerned, but here's what healthy grieving looks like. The person is grieving. I, like, I don't, I, I, I don't really have a much more specific definition for that because this is, and this is, um, this is the, that's just the reality of grief for me. Um, you know, when it comes around October, October five, um, I, I prefer to spend that day alone. I don't want people around me. I just want to spend time in quiet. Um, or it, it kind of varies or some years I've just wanted the day to be normal. I don't want anyone to bring it up. I don't want anyone to talk about it. Uh, mainly cause I just don't want to dwell on it. I'm it's already on my mind and I don't want to sit there for longer and talk about it. Um, for my, you don't want any extra cuddles. You just want me to cuddle with you. The, the normal. Exactly. Out. Yes. Um, I actually remember the day after my dad died, I went to school. Literally I'd had an yeah. hour of sleep. I'd been up all night. I found yeah. out at eight o'clock the night before. Um, and then went to school the next morning and everyone flipped out. Like there were people that were angry at me for being at school the next day. Uh, but for me at the time, I was still trying to even process the fact that he was actually dead. It wasn't, it didn't make like, it still didn't make sense at that point. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but B, I, I didn't know what good I could do just sitting at home doing nothing and I couldn't sleep. And so I went to school because I figured I could be around people and have try to have a normal day and try to salvage some normalcy. Um, but people were angry at me. Like it was confusing to me. Like, just let me do what I need to do here. Um, it was, yeah, it was a weird thing, but for some people, it's the exact opposite. They do need to be at home. They do need to not be around people. They need to just chill. And, um, like that's just a reality for a lot of people. And this is this. And, and, and so that, while that is my, well, I don't want to segue too much. Tony, do you have any thoughts on this before I, before I bring up the next point that I have? No, I, I mean, I think, I think you nailed it. I think it's different. I think that, um, you know, I, I have one friend that, you know, grieved, uh, had a very traumatic breakup, very traumatic breakup and grieved for five years. It took them five years mm -hmm. to, to get over it. And, and in the sense of they got back to pre, they're never going to be the same, you know? Yeah. It's you, a you new can. normal. It, it's a new normal. Um, and that was one of the things in the research. Uh, so there's something called the dual process um, theory or method. Um, and, it, and it's this idea that it comes off of the, uh, task, um, theory for grieving to recover, uh, in order to recover from your grief, you have to perform certain tasks to get out of these stages basically. Um, and so you have these, like they have, I think only four stages, but it, it's, there's typically, they hmm. kind of, correspond and so in order to do that you have to do a task in this dual process which is again that's a google term google term doop, these dual the dual process uh theory or dual process um dual method theory i think it's dmt or something like that um of grieving basically it says you need to do this task and something else so one of the things they talk about is um you know to get out of kind of denial is you have to uh, accept that something has gone wrong and accept that this is a new normal. Mm -hmm. So one of the best ways to get over is to acknowledge that you're never going to get over it necessarily. Yeah. And I think that's so huge because it's like, yeah, in order to be healthy, you need to recognize this is never going to be the same, but you can get back to who you were. You mm -hmm. can get back to who you were. You can be it's, you it's again. It's going to be different. Yeah. You know, um, 
And I think it's, it's fine. And I think acknowledging the fact that, yeah, it's going to, things are going to be different now is, is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say that's yeah. the only, the only part of being healthy, just acknowledging the fact that it's happening and, and taking intentional steps to make it happen. And this is, this is where I sit on, on this was the segue I was going to make because the bottom line is, yes, someone's grief is going to make you uncomfortable. Bottom, it just is. Because death and loss makes everyone uncomfortable. But what this has taught me, and I think what I realized actually in this conversation is, you know, I used to say that we were never built to handle death. But what I'm realizing by this process and, and by just the grieving process in general, I do think we were actually built with a propensity to handle death. I just don't think it was ever intended to be utilized. Does that make right, sense? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and so I actually praise God for that fact. Like, I, I think that's really cool um, that he would say, I'm going to build this into you because this is a unique thing. Or this isn't, this isn't a, the way you do it is unique, but the process itself tends to be pretty similar. Um, but someone else's grief is always going to make you uncomfortable. And I think this is why the Bible, I think one of the, the prescriptions that the Bible gives us for this is basically that your response and your reaction to someone else's grief should be 100 and the, the stages of their grief should correspond to whatever stage they are in. Um, and this is where I think we get the, this is where I think the text rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep comes into play. Rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep is a act of self-denial. It is an act of selflessness to say the way that I feel about this, I'm going to put away because I'm going to enter into their situation in their space and exist in it with them. And so it's the idea, you see that person crying and upset. I'm not saying that you're going to go and tear up and I can't do that. I can't be the guy that walks into a family's house. And I did this several times as a pastor with older church members. Uh, I can't walk into someone's house or walk into the church and cry along with them. I, I can't do that. I can't make myself cry. But I can sit in them and not be cracking jokes and being um, and telling them it's wrong for them to feel that way or say, it's okay. Uh, you know, there's, no, there's none of that. It's just accepting that this sucks that this just sucks and being in that suckiness with them um, and journeying with them. That is, I think what the Bible prescribes in those moments where they're celebrating. I sit there at my dad's funeral and I talk about all the funny things he did. And I celebrate who he was as a person. And someone has the audacity to tell me that um, I was being selfish for not crying and for telling funny stories. Like how dare I do that? I'm sorry. I didn't know this was your, your family's funeral that you get to determine all of this or make judgments of my character. Um, make judgments on my character because of it. That's not how this, that's not how this gets to go. And so I do think the way that you can help the people around you is by trying to find out the ways in which there's something reasonable for you to deny within yourself to enter into their situation. That does not mean that when they're angry, uh, you, you know, hit, you beat someone up with them. That doesn't mean that when they're, you know what I like be reasonable. Um, but also, um, exist in the space with them and to make room for them. That I think is something that needs to, um, that needs to happen. And that's something that everyone can do. And I also think that that also means you don't overstep your bounds. If you're not close to someone, you don't need to get close. Like you don't suddenly need to be closer. You don't need to, because I think the, the other act of self-denial that we need to do is understand that we can't fix it, that we're not going to be able to fix it. And sometimes we have this need to do something 
And in doing so, in, in trying to fulfill this need and being forceful about it, we'll end up making someone else's grieving process about us and about me feeling um, fulfilled or that I did the right thing and I could check off, you know, check off my did a good deed badge for the day. Um, if someone you don't know very well is dealing with grief, you don't need to suddenly pretend like you're their best friend <laughs> who just hasn't talked to them in a while. Um, say, hey, sorry to hear, praying for you. If there's anything I can do, let me know. And just let it be. Like, don't try to be more than what you are. Um, because I think that just feels invasive uh, to someone who is grieving. So those are those are kind of the the, the practical things that I would say. Um, and I, I, yeah, Tony, anything to add here on, on this note? No, I'm no, no, no. Uh, I, I do have one more thing. So yeah, it's, I was going to say, I think you kind of, as far as that, I think you kind of nailed it right where I'm at, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, for me personally, I want, you know, and I will stipulate in my will that the song celebration by cooling the gang is to be played, you know, at my <laughs> service. You know, because yeah. I'm serious. For me, it's like, no, this is for me, it's like I've understand I understand what death looks like, but anyone who knows my life knows that I love taking naps. So um mm. that to me it's like this is meant it really is meant to be a celebration. But at the same time, that's those are my wishes. Yeah. And so because I want, you know, I want people to laugh at you know, I want them to, to obviously mourn in the way that they, they want to, but I want them to understand, you know, I want to go out the way that I lived, which is making people yeah. happy, making people laugh. You know, I, I'm going to try to record, you know, a video at some point of myself and just say, hey, you know, try to, you know, re-up it every five years and just say, hey, you know, if you're watching this, uh, I'm taking a nap and, you know, mm. I miss you guys and I love you and, and different things like that. And so, you know, but that's me. And I need to be able to, to, like you're saying, not be invasive into somebody else and not say to them mm. like, oh, this is, you know, yeah, this is my well, way of doing it. I think the other thing too is uh, sometimes you ask a grieving person, what's something I can do for you? They're not going to know the answer to that question. Um, and I've talked about this. There's an episode way back. I recorded it literally over a year ago. So somewhere around 50 episodes ago, um, it's called Misunderstood Miracles. And um, in it, I talk about um, the opportunity that you and I have to be the miracle for someone else. Yeah. yeah. Um, to be the vehicle by which God does something great. Um, and so here's, you know, one of the things I travel a lot. And what it, what it ends up being is between the hours that I work, all the projects that I do and the traveling, sometimes I don't clean as much as I should. By sometimes I mean all the time. Um, and sometimes clutter piles up. And it's not gross. Like I don't, I don't have like empty, you know, old dishes sitting around or whatever. It's just clutter. Um, and uh, there was one trip where I was gone and I had someone, a friend of mine stayed at my apartment um, to get a break from their roommates um, and to watch my dog for me basically while they were gone. And they were also using my car because their car had broken down um, while I was gone on that trip. And when I came back, all I'd asked them to do was take care of my dog while I was gone. When I came back, my entire apartment was clean and my car was clean. Um, they had washed it, they had cleaned and, and organized some stuff, they had thrown out any obvious trash, but they didn't throw away anything that was questionable, like, I don't know if he still wants this. Um, and I just, and they didn't say anything either. I just got back into my car and it was that, or I got walked into my apartment and it was clean suddenly. Um, if there are practical things that you can do to make life, to make someone else's life easier, yeah. Um, 
like I would highly encourage doing them, but don't do it to the extent of like taking over their life or inconveniencing them with the good deed that you have done. Um, but even like after my dad died, people brought us a Thanksgiving meal because my dad was the one who had cooked Thanksgiving. And we, when Thanksgiving came around the corner, we hadn't even thought about Thanksgiving and what we were going to do. And then suddenly someone took it upon themselves to coordinate an entire meal and deliver it to us on Thanksgiving. They delayed their own family's Thanksgiving to give us food. That's the kind of thing that um, was yeah. just incredible. Yeah. That kind of support. Um, so you do actually have the opportunity to be a miracle for someone else, but just right. measure that and think about it. Think through it carefully. Yeah. Um, because read that is room. significant. I mean, it sounds yeah. like it could but just read the room. Like, yeah. Are they going to be cool? Is this what, you know, is this going to help or is this going to hurt? I'm, I'm absolutely a hundred percent with you on that. Uh, um, Chris Hardwick does a, does a bit in one of his stand up, uh, his, his last one, I think it's fun, comfortable. And he literally talks about this. He spends a significant amount of time talking about his dad's funeral and his death. And, um, again, that's a very inappropriate, <laughs> inappropriate mm. album. Uh, uh, so, you know, uh, if you listen to it, listen to it with care. Um, but he makes a really good yeah. point where, you know, so many people were coming up to him at the funeral saying like, Oh, how can I help? How can I help? Finally, he just felt like he wanted to grab someone, look them in the eyes and just be like, can you bring my dad back? Oh. And then just call them up like three weeks later. Like, how's that thing we talked about? Like, are you working yeah. on it? Um, and he goes, I just wish there was a, a word in the English language where we could express like, this sucks. There's nothing I can do about it, but I'm with you. You know, we could just walk up and be like flarb. And then they would be like flarb. And, <laughs> and I'm like, man, it's so true. It's so yeah. true. We, we as a language and a culture almost don't really have words for, I'm sure there's a German word for it out there. Germans freaking have a word for everything. Um, but like Back. in the English language, we, I mean, they do, they have like such specific words. Anyway, um, like I, 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 there really isn't an English word to describe this kind of, this is painful. This is terrible. I'm so mm -hmm. sorry. Nothing I can do about it, but if I could, I would. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is to help someone with that grief. Um, you know, I always say the, the, the only part of the Job stories where his friends did the right thing was when like, they, they came and talking. sat next to him. Yeah. They just sat until he was ready. Then they opened up their mouths and, undid any of the good they did but that's the best thing that they did and i go okay that part keep like that that's the that's the baby in the bathwater. like don't throw that part out is is mm -hmm. don't be afraid to sit with your friends you know the ministry of presence i feel is more is is more important than any action you could do just yeah. being there and also understanding i would also add i think understanding the love languages when you when you're a little bit closer to the people Understanding their love languages, I think, is also huge. Mm -hmm. um, because for somebody who who they get words of affirmation, saying flarb is, you know what I mean? Like flarb yeah. would mean a lot more to them. I think they will accept gifts and all these different types of love um, because they're, they're able to understand that. But I think speaking to them in their love language is going to help that. So, so try to understand that. For those of you who don't know what love languages are, you know, we should do an episode on that. We should do... Yeah, I'd be game to do it. Episode just to um, talk about that. It's the way people both receive and, and give and love. give love, and so um, you know, I think that that that's huge too. 
you know, kind of know mm-hmm. the person. Are they going to, is time going to matter more? Is a gift going to yeah. matter? You know, well, and not, that's the thing. Like that even, anything you do isn't going to help, but. Yeah. Well, even yesterday at the funeral, when I walked in and saw the revelation seminar joke thing and I texted you and, and our group chat, um, you guys responded positively to that and continued the joke with me. Um, you knew exactly how to respond because yeah. you know me well. Um, that meant a lot. And that, that always means a lot. And that's the kind of thing that we're saying is, you know, use the context that you have with the knowledge you have of the person. And if you don't have any context, well, then it means that you probably need to do less, not more. Um, right. Yeah. And um, if you do have, you know, and it, that speaks to the importance of knowing the people in your church and knowing the people around you so that when something like that happens, you can be whatever you need to be in that moment. So um, if you are someone that is dealing with grief um, and you, um, you know, you're feeling like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. There are resources available for you. Um, I actually, myself, I'm nine years out from my dad's death. I'm actually currently looking for a grief counselor um, to work through maybe some stuff that I may not be aware of in my own heart and emotions um, and thought and, 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 and behavior patterns. So I would highly encourage counseling and therapy if that is something that you even remotely might be interested in. And also, if anyone knows of any grief counselors, let me know. Um, but the um, but know that it's okay to feel the way that you do. Um, know that, that God is grieving with you in loss. Um, and know that there is a life beyond this, whatever the new normal is. Um, and, you know, Tony and I both, we are, you know, we pray that you find that new normal, that you discover it, that you're able to embrace it um, and whatever that, whatever that will mean moving forward. But uh, grief is complicated and we hope that we've given people some practical things that they can walk away with. Uh, and I do hope um, that as we revisit this topic, we can continue to bring new things to the table uh, as we as we continue the discussion on grief. Um, but hey, thank you guys uh, so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of this journey with us, listening to some of my story as well. Um, you know, we appreciate you, and we're excited to see where absurdity will continue to go. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.